are going back to the Gospel of Luke this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, and I, I hope you do, if not, there's some around you. And if you don't have a Bible, you're free to take that Bible, just take it home with you, uh, a gift to you. Um, but Luke chapter 7, we are heading back to the Gospel of Luke. Many of you guys know that uh, we, were, we started journeying through the Gospel of Luke. That's what we do here at Island Community Church. And if you're new this morning, you can kind of know who we are. We uh, don't have anything to say or know outside of the Bible, and so we just take books of the Bible and we just walk through them one at a time. We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, uh, with the exception of the last six weeks, which we kind of took a break to uh, go through our vision series, to talk through the vision of our church, and we've been doing that for the series Align. And if you haven't been here or missed weeks, you can go listen to that stuff online anytime. But um, we are heading back to the Gospel of Luke, and I'm really excited because what season are we in right now? Lent, right? The season of preparation for Easter. Not like Lent in your pockets or your belly button, but Lent as in the season that gets us ready to uh, remember Jesus and his resurrection and just the glory of, of his person. And what we're going to be doing the next uh, one, two, three, four, five, six weeks together is, well, four weeks we're going to be spending in, in Luke chapter 7, and then uh, the week before Easter and Easter Sunday, we're going to continue in this series, but in a different place in Luke. But what we're going to be doing is just focusing on the person of Jesus. We're going to be just looking at who is Jesus. Anybody want to know? Anybody want to know more of him? Yeah. Uh, we're just going to be looking at who is Jesus. And the really beautiful thing is, in Luke chapter 7, as we jump back into this, we're going to be encountering four different people, just like you, just like me, who come to meet Jesus, come to encounter Jesus in, in very different ways. And they have very different circumstances, very different set of needs, very different personalities, very different just things going on in their life. When they meet Jesus... But in each encounter, we get to learn more about who Jesus is, and we get to learn more about what it looks like to respond to him with where we are in our life. And I just love the Bible because it is so relatable. So relatable. If you ever have the idea that the Bible seems far off or that Jesus seems far off, I pray that in this series you'll realize that is just absolutely not true. Jesus knows who you are. He knows what you need, and he understands what you're going through. And he wants to meet your needs. He does. And we're, the, the series is called Complete Compassion. And I named it that because um, more than anything in this chapter of Luke, we see <coughs> an amazing, complete, perfect compassion of Jesus Christ. Compassion, the, the deepest feeling of the emotion of the human heart. Jesus has compassion for you. God is a compassionate God, and He knows what you're going through, and He wants to meet you where you are. He wants to enter into where you are. He has compassion for you, and it is a kind of compassion that no one else can offer you. It is complete in every way because He completely knows everything you're going through. He completely knows every need, the real needs that you have, and He has the complete answer to what you're going through in his very person and in his power. He wants you to trust him. And we're going to see this through the eyes of four different people in Luke chapter 7. Are you excited? I'm really excited. We're going to look at the first one today. And you guys have any needs? 
All right, let me just see your hand if you ever have needs. Okay, a few of you don't. That's very interesting. <laughs> we will, uh, I want to show you today that you do have needs. Um, what kind of things are you going through right now that you, that you need? What's been on your heart lately? What have you been thinking about or burdened about, praying about? Do you have things that you, you, just weigh kind of heavy on you? Maybe you don't even tell anybody else. Maybe you're very vocal about it and kind of a whiner. <laughs> right? It's okay. We've all been there. Um, I've been a whiner this week. I'm a, I'm a terrible sick person. Terrible sick person. <laughs> Michelle's nodding her head. She, she's my wife and our doctor. Dibby. Dr. Dibby. Um, anyway, she tells me I'm a terrible patient. So I just whine. Anyway, what needs do you have right now? Take a second. I just want you to write on your bulletin. You've got a bulletin in your chair. Hopefully a pen, too. And just write down, what are the things right now that you are experiencing? I mean, what are the needs that you're experiencing? Do you have needs? Just admit it. I mean, just, what's going on? Is it, a, is it, is it health? Is it uh, relational? Uh, is it something that you just, is going on in your heart? You just have been wanting God to take this away from you? And, and you just, you just, just, God, I need this. And what, what are the things, just write those things down. You don't have to show anybody. We're going to come back to them later. Everybody has needs. Everybody. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that he <coughs> desires to meet your needs. Now often he doesn't answered them in the way that you necessarily think they need to be answered, but he wants to meet your needs, and he can <coughs> It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, it doesn't matter if you're uh, powerful or weak, it doesn't matter if you're a man or woman or you live here in America or anywhere else in the world, God wants to meet your needs, and he can meet your needs. But the amazing thing about this journey that we're on, and one thing that you realize in Scripture, is that there's always uh, something that is a prerequisite for God meeting your needs. And what is that? Faith. God wants to meet your needs. He can meet your needs. But He will meet your needs when you cry out to Him in faith. You respond to him in faith, and he responds to you in compassion. Faith connects you to the resources of the person and the power of God. You have needs. God has the answers to your needs. The question is, do you have faith? We're going to be looking today at a man who has serious needs. Luke chapter 7, verse 1 through 10. And we're going to see this clear fact of faith demonstrated in his life and situation. Starting in verse 1. After he, Jesus, this is Jesus, had finished all of his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus... <coughs> He sent him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, 
They pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying, <coughs> Lord, do not trouble yourself, for, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Jesus had just finished the Sermon on the Plain, which we looked at together in part. We will finish it in part later, but looked at in part in Luke chapter 6. And he is now returning to where? Does it say in verse 1? Capernaum. Now, he's already been in Capernaum. Uh, you remember when he stood up and read the scroll in the synagogue back in Luke chapter 4? Y'all remember that? Where was he? In Capernaum. Capernaum kind of serves as his like uh, headquarters, what could you say, for this part of his ministry in uh, the Gospel of Luke, and also you can detail the other Gospels. So he's heading back to Capernaum. In verse 2, we see, we get introduced to one of the main characters of this story. And who is it? It says, now a centurion. Now, what is a centurion? Who is a centurion? Anybody know? Roman soldier. Right. I didn't expect you to know that. That was just one of those Bible trivia things that <laughs> makes pastors happy. So, um, now you know. If anybody ever asks you in Trivial Pursuit, what is a centurion? You can say... Roman soldier. Isn't that great knowledge? <laughs> anyway, a centurion was a Roman soldier. And not just any Roman soldier. A centurion, the word, we have a word in English, century, represents what? 100 years, I think. <laughs> it is years. Um, a centurion was placed in charge of 100 soldiers. And this was a non-commissioned post. So centurions didn't get named centurions just out of the blue. They didn't just bring them in and just name them that. It was, it was a position where you had to earn the right to become a centurion. You had been in the, the military for a long time. You were a battle-tested guy. You had fought. You had fought. You had proven yourself disciplined. You had proven yourself worthy to, to be able to live under authority and also exercise authority. You had proven yourself as a leader as a soldier, as one to be trusted. And now you are trusted as a centurion with a hundred guys. I mean, this is a powerful guy. He had worked his way up in the military. It's a man's man, much like I am, you know. Why are you laughing? <laughs> it's a joke. It was a joke. You can laugh. It's fine. I'm not a man's man. But I want to be. That's why I go to the Y. So, um, anyway, Brian Black and I, you know, try to hit up the Y. But this is, this is a true man's 
man, right? He had it going on. He's powerful, he's disciplined, and he's in control. And because he's in Capernaum, it's not a huge area. It's very likely that this guy was over that entire district. Also, we know because he's centurion, he's Roman. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. He's an outsider of the people of God. So, know a little bit about him. Let's keep reading in verse 2. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death. Now, here we go. Here's a guy. We finally get a glimpse now of what is really going on. Centurion has a need, right? Much like the needs that you wrote down on your paper this morning, even this guy, who's in power, who has control over men, who's in a position of authority, who's battle-tested, has a need that he can't do anything about. What's his need? He has a servant who is sick. Not just any kind of sick. This servant is really sick. Luke, the doctor, which is kind of fun because many of you guys are training to be doctors. Luke, the physician, writes with great detail. He knows, especially when it comes to matters of illness, what's really going on. This guy has a servant who's sick, and not just any kind of sick. He's at the what? He's at the point of death. And not just any servant. It says, now the centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was what? Highly valued by him. Now this is really interesting. And it speaks to the character of this man and the faith of this man, what God is already doing in this man, that this centurion soldier, who's in charge of a hundred men, a position of authority, who probably owned tens, if not maybe even more, of these type of servants, these type of bond slaves, that he has a servant who is highly valued by him. This word valued in, in Greek doesn't mean like, you know, he's, he's productive. The word really means cherished. I mean, there are other words that, that could, could have been used here if it meant this servant was productive for him. This says highly valued to him. He's esteemed. He's cherished by him. This centurion has a heart for his servant. He has compassion on his servant. He doesn't view this guy as disposable. He loves this guy. This guy is cherished by him. He's got a relationship with him. That's unusual. Look, let me just say this. Robbie and I were talking on Monday about this chapter in Luke. And one thing that gets talked about compassion and empathy a lot is that it's kind of a weak thing. Not a very manly thing to feel compassion, to feel empathy, to get moved to tears by something going on in your life or somebody else's life. Here's a man's man who's moved to a point of desperation and compassion and empathy over a servant who's sick and at the point of death. It takes a real man to feel compassionate, not a weak one. Hmm. Compassion and empathy is a sign of strength not weakness. It's a sign of true character, not girliness, all right? Men, you need to be full of emotion in your life. It is not bad to be an emotional person and to feel what other people feel. This is the character of God for you, and when God works his character in you, it should be your character to others. 
tear up, feel compassion, feel empathy toward people, even the least of these. You can see God's working in him to care for the least of these. Glenn and I talk about all the time, right? How Jesus wants us to serve those that are poor and can't serve themselves. And here's one such guy. And this centurion is being moved <coughs> to call out to Jesus for him. When the centurion, verse 3, so he's got need, real need. So what happens? When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and to heal his servant. One thing about faith that we know is that faith seeks Jesus in times of need. Faith seeks Jesus in times of need. You are not a person of faith if in times of need you do not seek Jesus. Let me just say this again. Y'all, it is so easy to feel so self-centered and so just self-competent and self-able and all these things. When I have needs, I meet my needs. I don't need anybody else to meet my needs. I'm a man. I'm a woman. Hear me roar. Let, let me show you how capable I am. That is not the attitude of faith. Faith recognizes that I don't, I, I don't have what it takes to meet the needs that I have. I need Jesus. Everybody hear me? Look at your paper, the things you wrote down. Do you recognize in the, in the needs of your life that you need Jesus? Do you recognize that? The things that are going on with you right now, y'all, you don't need me. You don't need anybody else. You don't need money. You don't need blah, 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 blah. You don't even need yourself. You need Jesus. Real faith always seeks Jesus in time of need. It pushes you to Jesus. And here's a guy who apparently, he's not a Jew, but he's in Capernaum. So we know that Jesus has been in the area, and surely he's heard about Jesus. Somebody has told him about Jesus. He's heard that God has compassion for people, that Jesus has the power of God, that Jesus is God, that Jesus has come to be the Savior, to be the Redeemer, to be the Healer. And somehow, God has begun to work faith into his life such that when Jesus comes back into town and he's faced with a real need, a loved servant who is dying, what's he do? I'm going to Jesus, man. I'm not wasting my time with any of this other stuff. I know who I need to go to, and it's Jesus. And so he's seeking him out. And it's interesting, really interesting, that he sends Jewish leaders to Jesus. Because Romans and Jews hated each other. So this tells you something else about this guy. That God has begun to do something in his heart such that he's respected by these Jewish leaders. And they might have been drawn to him for his power, drawn to him for his money. We're going to see in just a second. But this guy is dealing with pretty stubborn, hard to deal with Jewish people. And he's even sending them now to Jesus. And they... Look, verse 4, when they came to Jesus, look, they go for him. They're going to Jesus on behalf of this guy. <clears throat> and when they get to him, what do they say? It says, they plead with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy 
to have you do this for him. For he, what? Loves our nation. And he is the one who built us our synagogue. This guy has a love for the Jewish people. God is working in him a love for God's people. He knows enough about God, apparently, that he loves God's people. And he knows enough about God, apparently, that he's building a synagogue for the Jewish people. I mean, can you imagine somebody coming into our church and saying, hey, I heard you guys uh, don't have a permanent building. I just want to stroke you a check right now for you guys to have a permanent facility. Can you imagine that? And not even being a part of our church? What would that show you about that person? They've got some kind of love for what God's people are doing or some kind of love for God or some kind of God's doing something in their heart to, to make them want to give generously. Hopefully it's not just for the tax break, right? Something is going on in this guy's life. And the interesting thing, the Jewish people come to Jesus and what do they say? What's their words? He is worthy to have you do this for him because A, he loves our nation and B, he's built a synagogue for us. Let me just say this. The attitude of religion is always entitlement. <laughs> but that is not the attitude of faith. The Jewish people come to Jesus, and what, what do they say? He's got a need, and the reason... Look, we... You, you need to meet... Look, look Jesus, now you, now you say that you're God, right? And you, you've got to meet this guy's need, because look how much he's done for you. <clears throat> look, look at this. He loves your people... He's given all this money. He's built us a synagogue. Look how much he's done for you, Jesus. Look how much he's done for you, God. So you've got to meet his need now because he's done all these things for you. That is the attitude of what? Religion. That is not the attitude of faith. Payout. You... Deserve this, because you have been such a good boy, or such a good girl, you have been so faithful, and you have given so much, and blah, 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 blah. You ever go to God in prayers like that? God, I have this need, I want you to meet this need, and suddenly you start, your attention, you, you start focusing on, God, I want you to do this, because I've been so this, and I have done this, and I have done this, and God, you have made me this, and and it's all focused on what? Me. Let me just tell you, that is not the attitude of faith. The attitude of entitlement, the attitude of arrogance, where you think that you're so special, you always deserve special treatment. You should always be in the VIP line going straight to the front because you are such a good person. You have done so much. You are so faithful. Look at you. Man, that's the epitome of arrogance. That's the epitome of works-based thought about salvation. <clears throat> that's the epitome of thinking that you have done something to be worthy of Jesus meeting a need for you. You don't come to Jesus that way. Verse 6. Jesus 
went with them. This is interesting. Because here they are coming to Jesus saying, God, this guy is worthy. And we know that this is not how we're supposed to come to Jesus, and yet Jesus goes with them. What does this tell you about Jesus? Jesus is a compassionate God. He's moving not because this guy's worthy, but because he cares about people. Jesus loves this guy. When Jesus moves into your world to meet your needs, guess why he's coming? Because he cares about you. Because he loves you. Because in the character of God is compassion and grace and mercy and empathy and a desire to meet you where you are, to give you what you need. Verse 6, we continue. It says, Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. What's happening here? The Jews go to Jesus and say, this guy is worthy. And what's the guy say? Before Jesus can even get to his house, he sends friends out. He doesn't even, he doesn't even go himself. He sends friends out to meet Jesus. And what is the message to Jesus? Lord, don't even bother yourself anymore. I am not worthy. He uses a different term that was used earlier than the Jews used. And this, this word actually means, he says, I'm not good enough. He's saying, the Jews say that I'm an A-plus kind of guy. But look, I'm not even D-minus, man. I mean, that's seriously what the guy said. He's like, look, Jesus, you just stop right there. Because I, two things, you should not even be coming into my house. I'm not even worthy to have you come into my house. It's like John, when he said in chapter 1, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, right? This guy's saying, I'm not even worthy for him to come into my presence. He said, and then he's, he's sending friends, I'm not even worthy to come to you in person. This guy gets it. Look, the attitude of faith is always one of humility. It always comes with brokenness. Psalm 51 says, Sacrifices that God desires are what? A broken and a contrite heart. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Luke chapter 18, there's a beautiful parable there that we'll study later of two people when they go in to pray, and one prays in arrogance and all this self centeredness. God, do this for me because of all these things that I have done. I'm so glad I'm not like the rest of them. And the other one is in the corner beating his chest. Saying, Lord, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. The Bible says that only one of those guys went down to their house, made right with God, and it was the one who had humbled himself before the Lord. Faith comes to Jesus, not with an attitude of entitlement, but with an attitude of unworthiness, recognizing that, look, I can be powerful. I can have people under my authority. I can be battle-tested. I can be a man's man. I can have money. I can do good. But there is nothing in me that deserves the grace of Jesus Christ. There's nothing in you 
that deserves the grace of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? God would be totally just to have you stuck with all of your needs forever and forever and forever and never move in to help. That would be totally okay because you have turned your back on God, not just once, but time and time again, every single day, and that is called sin, and sin separates you from a relationship with God. It separates you from receiving help in your time of need. That is what you deserve. Y'all hear me? That's what you're entitled to. You are entitled to your sin and your <coughs> filth and your grossness and separation from God for eternity. That's what you are entitled to. If you receive any help, if you receive any grace, if you receive any compassion, if you receive any fellowship with Christ, it is because of Him, not you. It is because He is a good God and a gracious God and a compassionate God and He is moving into your life so that you, you might know Him. And that is not of yourself. It is a gift so that no person can boast. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Come on, y'all. This is the gospel. You've got to teach, talk about this to yourself every day. I'm not worthy to receive the grace of Jesus. You are not worthy. You're not worthy. Stop all that arrogant mess in your prayers. Come to Jesus with a broken heart, a contrite heart, a heart of submission and surrender, saying, God, if I receive anything from you, I know that it is because of your grace and your compassion and your faithfulness and your ability to help me right now. It is not me. This is the attitude of the guy when he comes to Jesus. He didn't even go himself. He was so humbled by the thought of the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the one with complete authority and complete rule. He was so humbled at the thought of him even coming into his presence. He bowed his face, Lord, I'm not worthy. Faith comes in humility. It comes in brokenness, not entitlement. But it also comes with confidence and a centeredness on Jesus. He didn't allow the fact that he wasn't worthy to keep him from asking, did he? Because he knew something about Jesus. He knew that Jesus made himself available for those who were willing to trust him, to surrender to him, to submit to him, and just to allow him to be their all. Faith is always centered on the person of Jesus. Always. And confident in who he is. Look at what the centurion says. Y'all, don't you just love the Bible? Yes. I love Scripture. Look at this. Verse 7 says, Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servants, do this, and he does it. So what is he saying here? He's saying, Jesus, I know that I'm totally unworthy to receive anything from your hand. I am unworthy. I'm broken, Lord. I don't deserve anything that you have to give. But Lord, I know you. 
I've heard about you, and I know that if you say your word, my servant can be healed. For see, I too, Jesus, I, I, I know who you are. You are, you are under the authority of God. And Jesus, I know that you have everything else under your authority. Because see, I, I'm, a, I'm a centurion, Jesus. And I, I report to people above me. I'm in the military, and I know what it's like, man. I have, I've been in the military for years. And I know what it's like for my commander to issue a command, and I do it. There is no questions asked. It is done. When the word is spoken, I act. And I know how to issue authority, man, because I've got at least 100 guys under me. When I say for them to do something, guess what? They do it. I know what authority is like. So Jesus, I, I know who you are. And though I, though I come to you and I don't deserve this, I know that if you just speak your word, my servant will be healed. Y'all, this is faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It is impossible to please God without faith. You must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. This guy believes that Jesus is God. That Jesus is one with total authority in all of life. And that Jesus rewards those who come to him, submit to him, and just seek his help. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Listen, y'all. Jesus has total authority. Did you know this? All right, I need to see you some movie. <laughs> come on. I'm sick. It might be that my eyes are blue. <laughs> but I can't tell if you're excited. Jesus has total authority. Let me say it again. Jesus has total authority. When Jesus speaks his word, it is done. At the beginning of time, out of nothing, God creates everything. Just go outside today. Look up. Everything that you see, look around. Everything that you see was created by a word. It says that God spoke God said, let there be light. Boom! Sun. Huge, glaring, amazing thing that we still can't figure out. At his word, let there be expanse. Boom! Seas. Boom! Ocean. Boom! Birds. At his word, out of dust, man. At his word. Can you even fathom this? Absolute power of God. At his word. And John chapter 1 says that Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Who was at the beginning creating with God? Jesus. By his word, the entire universe is upheld right now. You see in the Gospels, Jesus has total authority over life. He has total authority over death. At his word, people raise up. At his word, blindness can be cured. At his word, the sick can be healed. At his word, Jesus can stand up in the middle of a storm and say, Peace, be still. 
and everything is quiet. He could have said that to the tornadoes the other day, just looked at the massive F4 and just said, stop. The tornado would have stood still in its tracks. He, should, he could have said, go away. Tornado would have been dissipated. He can create life. He has total authority. He has authority over spiritual powers. He has authority over demons. He has authority over Satan himself, who one day will be thrown by the word of Christ into the lake of fire. Praise God. He has authority over the church. He has authority over kings. He has authority over everything. There is nothing outside of the power and the control of Jesus. Nothing. Look at your sheet again, the needs that you wrote down. At his word, at his word, he could speak and do any of the things that you wrote down, as long as they are not contrary to his character. At his word, there is nothing outside of the power and the control of Jesus. Isn't that great news? Y'all, when you come to Jesus, come in humility, but come confidently. This is God. He can do anything. And He rewards those who seek Him. This guy knew that not only was He God, not only was He powerful, but He invited people to trust Him, to receive from His hand. Oh, don't you understand? You have a great and merciful high priest who is not unable to sympathize with your weakness, but in everything, he is able to give you mercy and grace in your time of need. He sympathizes with you. Not only does he have total power, but he wields his power in love and compassion for those who are willing to trust him and call out to him in faith. Isn't this awesome? Hello? (laughs) Isn't this awesome? This is Jesus He's not some weak guy. He's totally in control. Praise God for Jesus. And the centurion says, at your word, at your word, just speak. I don't need you to come into my presence. I just need you to say your word. I know that you are God. Verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. The word here, marvel, is just the word, it's just what it says, amazed. Jesus looks at the guy and he's amazed. He's amazed. He's not amazed at the power the guy has, the money the guy has, all that the guy's done, all that the guy is. No, 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 no. What is he amazed at? His great faith. You know what amazes Jesus when he looks at you? It's not all that stuff that you try to do for him. I mean, he loves that. Oh, he loves it when you're obedient and when you're faithful. And there is reward for those who are faithful. But you know what amazes him is your ability to just trust him. The greatest Christians are not those who have achieved the most, but those who have received the most. You hear me? Not those who have achieved the most, but those who have received the most. What amazes Jesus is not all that you can do, but how much you can surrender to him. How much you're willing to let him be God in your life. 
how much you're willing to cry out to him in faith and just receive from his hand. And those things that you wrote down, are you willing to just go to Jesus and say, God, I need your help. I trust you. I know you have authority in my life, and I know that there is nothing outside of your control. I just want to trust you, Jesus. I give myself to you in brokenness and humility. I am not worthy, but I know that you act for those who seek you, and I know that all power is in your hand, and I just come to you, and I say, let your will be done, God. I trust you. I give myself to you. Amazement. This is what Jesus is amazed about. There's only two places in Scripture that Jesus is amazed. One is he's amazed at unbelief and his hometown. The other is this right here. He's amazed at belief of this centurion. And he turns to the crowd, the crowd of the religious people, the crowd of the elders, the leaders of the religious people of the day, the crowd that included his own disciples. And he turns and he looks at everybody. He says, I tell you, not in any of this crowd have I ever found such great faith as I did right here in this guy who's not even part of the chosen people of God, the Jews. Just because you're religious does not mean that you're full of faith. Jesus surveys crowds, and he knows who's who. He knows the state of your heart. And what he wants to know today is, do you have faith? Let me tell you, he's got compassion. He's got power. The question is, do you have faith to let Jesus be Jesus in your life? in your situation, and in your time of need. Y'all, Jesus is awesome, isn't he? Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Not just, it's not just a one-time decision, but it is an ongoing state of our life. Humility, surrender, and faith. Let Jesus be Jesus in your life. Will you do that today? I pray that you will. And I pray that you will know that you can come to Jesus to receive grace and help in your time of need. He's not far off. He is close. He is compassionate. He is able. Will you trust him today? Let's stand up. We're going to move into our time of response. And I just want you to move into a season of prayer where you just praise Jesus for who he is. Where you just say to Jesus, this is who you are, Jesus, and I thank you, I praise you. You are wonderful, God. You are able, Jesus. You are, you are worthy. Admit who you are. You are unworthy. You are broken. You are a mess. You do not deserve it. Lord, you have the power. You have the ability. You have the compassion. And I come to you, Lord. All I need is just your word. I just need your presence, Jesus. I give myself to you. I put my confidence and my faith in you. I pray that faith will arise in this place and in your life. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus. Oh, I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Will you trust Jesus? Jesus.